Praise be to God who has given us new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. Amen. Two of Jesus' disciples were walking down a dusty country road in our gospel reading. We know the name of one, Cleopas. Now, John's gospel references a man named Clopas without the E. These could be the same person. They could be two different people. We don't know the name of the other disciples strolling alongside Cleopas. Because they apparently stay in one house, though, into which they invite Jesus, some scholars speculate that Cleopas and his wife are walking along the road. And if Cleopas and Clopas are the same person, and if it's Cleopas and his wife walking along, then we may know the name of the other person walking along the road because Clopas's wife's name was Mary. Maybe. It's a lot of ifs. If two similar but different names are actually for the same person, if that person was walking with his wife, not someone else, if there isn't another explanation for them entering the same house, if the reference to Clopas and Mary we have as being read correctly and they are indeed husband and wife. Here's another if to add to that list. If we're not careful, we can turn our reading of the Bible into a speculation frenzy. See, we could pile up trivia and make tenuous connections. We can put together all kinds of guesses about who's related to whom, and is this person also that person? It could be fun uh, if you enjoy that kind of thing. It can also make you look like the guy pictured in the meme there in your service folder. And it's really pointless. If we're not told something explicitly in the Bible, it's because it's not needed. And the Bible itself warns us against getting caught up in speculation and trivia. Paul the Apostle wrote this to his pastoral mentee, Timothy. I've got this reference here for you in your service folder in the notes there. Paul said, Command certain people, Timothy, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. As Timothy pastored his congregation, one of his duties was to remind people that God's word is not to be treated as a source for trivia. No one should pride themselves on their mastery of Bible tidbits. What I'll say next is not original to me, but I couldn't find who to credit with this phrase. It would be a horrible thing to go to hell knowing who all the kings of Judah were. Knowing Bible trivia is an entirely different thing from having faith in Jesus as Savior. So Timothy is told that speculation and myths have to be left behind. Instead, Paul tells him, send people in a different direction. Still in that passage from 1 Timothy, the goal of this command is love. Some have departed from love and turned to meaningless talk. This is why Timothy is supposed to push people away from speculation as they read scripture. We don't need meaningless speculation. God intends for us, rather, to grow in love. So we read the story of Cleopas, who was maybe the same person as Clopas, and this other disciple, who was maybe his wife, whose name maybe was Mary. We don't focus on all that. We ask how this story, and every story in scripture, leads us to grow in love. As these two are walking down the road, they're talking. Last week we read about the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples in a locked room and showing them his hands and his side. This story takes place only a few hours before that, on Easter evening. Jesus has already made a couple of appearances to his followers. We read the encounter that he had with Mary and Mary, and those were 
other Marys, not the possible Mary who was possibly Clopas's wife. See how confusing this does get? We read the story of his encounter with Mary and Mary on Easter Sunday morning. And apparently, at some point during the day, Jesus also showed himself to Simon Peter privately. At this point in the afternoon, these two disciples have heard all these stories. They were part of the crowd cheering Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They very likely saw him on his cross outside the city on Friday. And while the apostles now, the group's leaders, are hiding in Jerusalem in a locked room because their status as Jesus followers is common knowledge, and they're worried about the chief priests, the elders, teachers of the law, the Roman authorities coming after them next, these two, Cleopas and the other disciple, they're obscure enough as Jesus followers that they have been able to safely leave Jerusalem and head home, only a couple hours away at a good walking pace. And Jesus now makes the third appearance we know of on Easter Sunday. He catches up to these two on the road, and he nonchalantly asks them, oh, what are you talking about? They must have been having an animated discussion at a decent volume, because Cleopas says to Jesus, how could you not know what we're talking about? Apparently the story had already gone viral. Jesus plays dumb. The two disciples fill him in. And in the middle of their explanation, they give the reason for their downcast faces. Verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What did that mean? They had hoped for Jesus to be a king there, then. They had hoped that he would overthrow both the Roman oppressors and the Jewish authorities that collaborated with Rome. Hadn't that been the point of Palm Sunday? He had come into Jerusalem, cheered as a king by the crowds. Jesus chides them. He said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? There's a small but important word in Jesus' reply to them. All, all prophets have spoken. The prophets were the messengers God used in the many centuries before Jesus' life to point ahead to him, to give people a picture of the coming Messiah so they could identify him. And these two disciples had seen in Jesus' life and ministry enough to be convinced this was the Messiah. He had made the blind see and the lame walk. He had cast out spirits. He proclaimed the word of God with authority. He was clearly God's chosen servant. They came to that conclusion because the prophets had said that the Messiah would do all these things. And they believed that. But the prophets had spoken more about the Messiah. They had spoken of the Messiah's suffering. They had taught that the Messiah was going to be rejected, would suffer, would die and that the Messiah would rise. It's all this which Jesus now explains to these two as they keep walking along the road. He explains all which the prophets had testified about him. His work in preaching and teaching and healing, yes. Also, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and now his entering glory. There's another weird phrase. What does that mean? We're shown in this text what it means for Jesus to enter his glory. Jesus entered his glory because he is your savior. Jesus is glorified. He receives honor and praise. Honor from his father. Praise from his people as the risen Lord and savior. And as his Holy Spirit causes people to trust in the salvation he's won, Jesus continues to be glorified. That's it. For Jesus to enter his glory means nothing more and nothing less 
and that he is honored and praised for having saved us. When Jesus came out of his grave on Easter morning, he came into the glory he deserves, not only as Lord of all, God of all, but the one Savior. These disciples had been looking for something different, a different kind of glory. A king on a throne, a warrior defeating the Romans. You know what looking for that had done for them? They were sad, they were confused, they were downcast. Jesus told them they had something far better. They had a savior from sin. They had eternal life. He showed them this from the scriptures. Maybe they heard him explain Psalm 116, which we sang earlier as they walked along. As he explained verses like, Precious in the Lord's sight is the death of his saints. What a promise is being held out there. We will die. God's people will die. But God will not overlook us in death. Our death is something precious to him. He gives the end of our days great thought and attention. We are not forgotten. That is not a promise having anything to do with power in this world or glory in this age. It's eternal. It's transcendent. It's a promise which only a king who fought death itself can make. All kinds of kings can make you all kinds of promises about your life in this world. They can promise to take care of you, to give you power, to make you famous. There's only one king who promises you that your death will be precious in his eyes because he in death was mocked and scorned because his death was not valued. That's the story which these disciples needed explained. So Jesus did exactly that. Only that story gives us real life. Trivia can't do it. Speculation is useless. All promises of earthly glory in the end give way to death. But Jesus explained to his two followers and explains to us still through his word the only truly good news. I want to make this practical for a moment. In Sunday Bible class right now, we're looking at some stuff that could kind of feel Bible trivia-y. We're looking at God's Old Testament commands about worship, about rituals for the Israelites. And a couple of weeks ago in that study, we spent a good 15 minutes talking about some lampstands that God had commanded to be placed in the Old Testament worship space. Why? Why does that matter? We talked about the way that those lampstands are called to mind in the New Testament when one of Jesus' disciples, John, is given a vision of Jesus walking among lampstands. Those lampstands symbolized churches to whom John wrote his letter. Jesus walking among these lampstands in John's vision symbolized God's presence with his people, God's command to place these lampstands in the temple where he was worshipped in the Old Testament symbolized his presence with his people. Uh, the burning flames symbolized the light that he gives to our lives as he lives in our hearts. See, looking at all those Old Testament portions could get very trivia-ish. Did you know that these candles uh, had seven pieces coming off of them, seven portions, seven little candlesticks, and that the top of each candlestick was shaped like a, a flower's bud? Trivia. But if we remember the one big story we're being told all throughout the Bible, it's not trivia. 
If we read the Old Testament for trivia, there is no point. But if we read the Old Testament to see what those disciples headed to Emmaus saw as Jesus explained the Old Testament to them, and what did they see? They saw Jesus, their Savior from sin, foretold by the prophets. Then that's what God wants us to get. And see, after we wrap up that Bible study, uh, a few Sundays out, we'll start a new Sunday study directed at personal Bible reading. In fact, the next few topics we're going to look at in Sunday study are posted in the entryway for you. And in that study, we'll be focused on exactly this idea. How do we profitably read the Bible? That quote we heard earlier from 1 Timothy explains what it means for us to profitably read the Bible. We don't profitably read the Bible when we come away with isolated factoids and speculative maybes. We profitably read the Bible when we come away with love. Timothy was warned, told to warn people away from myths and genealogies, from speculation and trivia, because that kind of Bible reading replaces the kind of reading that leads me to say, I am a sinner and Jesus is my savior. Let me love my neighbor. As the scriptures are explained to us, Jesus walks with us. He leads us to see him in the scriptures. He leads us to see our sin in the scriptures. He leads us to see the forgiveness he won for us. He leads us to look at our neighbors as he looks at us. He leads us to love. To his love for us, to our love for others. To get there, we need the scriptures explained to us. It's the Bible through which Jesus does his work on our hearts. It's his law gospel message found there, which shows us our sin and shows us our Savior. And when he goes to work on us, we come to realize the same thing that Cleopas and the other disciple realized. Weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Friend, Jesus is always ready in his word to do just that still today. For you. Amen.